Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. I've invited Dr. Kate Shanahan back on the show today. She was on hundreds of episodes ago talking about how she had transformed the Lakers diet so they could include more fat and they performed much better. But now she has a new book that just hit the New York Times list that talks about the kind of fat that's in our bodies that is at the root of inflammation. And Dr. Kate is really legit. She spent 18 years working as a physician and a nutrition specialist. And she and I are gonna go really deep with you on what different fats do. We don't agree on everything, but we agree on almost everything. So if there's a knockdown, drag out battle, I'll probably lose. <laughs> Kate, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back on, Dave. It's been too long. Uh, you know, I actually just realized this. You were on really early as well around uh, bulletproofing the NBA, and then we talked about vegetable oil. So you and I are both longstanding for more than a decade saying vegetable oil is dumb. We're vegetable oil blood brothers, yes. Yeah, there you go. Except we don't like put that on our palms and shake because that would be worse than just blood. Uh, so uh, before we get into the fat burn fix... Uh, which is your new book, which thank God is not another dirty keto book. Uh, if it's fat, eat it. If it's not a carb, eat it. And then these people get all inflamed, like the original Atkins people. So you you and I are in 100% agreement. Gee, does it matter? But why are you such a fat fan? How did you get here? Well, it was a very long, interesting journey. And it didn't. I did not, I was not born a fat-loving doctor. I was born the usual, like, you know, the usual doctor. But I was an athlete. And um, I started to uh, really dive deep into fats because, partly because I had to question everything that I learned in medical school about nutrition because, you know, I think your listeners know very well that doctors don't learn a whole lot about diet and nutrition, but what we do learn is wrong. You know, we learn that fat makes you fat and salt, you know, raises hypertension, causes hypertension, cholesterol clogs your arteries. Most of the things you're going to hear in a doctor's office are, are myths. And for that, partly for that reason, a lot of doctors don't even bother giving people uh, diet advice because they, we can't get into it. You know, we can't, we don't, we're not excited about failure and we've seen this kind of advice fail ourselves. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's sad, but I was always into biochemistry. And before I went to medical school, I actually went to uh, Cornell to study biochemistry. So when I had my little revelation, I had to be, have my like rebirth as a as a doctor, um, which was uh, because I you know I was really sick and I couldn't get better, so I had to learn about nutrition to get better. And I uh, I learned it was really it all hinged on fat. Everything about the uh, the awakening that I had hinged on the idea that I, have, I was so sure because I learned it in medical school that saturated fat was bad and you know animal fat was bad and animal products were generally bad. But it, I I had to do this deep dive into the biochemistry of it all to realize that you know that was radically wrong and um, and I had to just become really expert in the chemistry of how our body processes fats and how our body stores fats. When I was working with the Lakers, um, you know, I was promoting, I was helping them understand 
some of what, you know, my reawakening had involved, which is that, you know, it's, it's not that fat is bad uh, for us. It's that these processed fats and the vegetable oils are bad and everything you make with them is bad, but natural fat is good. And fat is actually the best fuel for athletes, even if they're not cardio athletes, even if they're team sport athletes. The, the, the body, when we eat carbs um, or when we eat protein, when we have to store energy as fat, the most prevalent fatty acid we store it with is basically your high octane doubled. It's two of them stuck together, um, but then we desaturate it right in the middle to form a kink. It's a double bond there. It's easily broken. So if you're fat adapted, your body, well, as soon as that big fatty acid gets into a cell, it goes right into another specialized chamber in the cell, breaks it in half. And now it can go straight into the mitochondria and be burned really quickly. So the whole reason that dietitians say that fat is not good for athletes, it's not the ideal fuel and sugar's better, is because they, they don't know this one fact. If they just understood that this speeds up the whole process, makes it such a better fuel, faster than sugar, in fact, in terms of being able to get energy from it, from the point of entry into the cell, um, then, you know, all of sports nutrition would have to be turned upside down. Well, I, I actually was uh, trying to get a study approved uh, with an IRB, the Institutional Review Board, um, to, to prove whether or not liquid was good for athletes. Uh, and so what I was going to do is I was going to give half the athletes a drinking water, or sorry, a drinking bottle full of gasoline. Uh, and the other half full of water and see which ones perform better. And then we could see whether liquids were good for them or not. Uh, apparently, someone knew that was a stupid idea, yet that same institutional review board would be happy to say, let's study to see whether fat's good for you. But are you telling me, Dr. Kate, that different fats do different things in the human body? Yes, they how, do. How dare you say such a thing? <laughs> uh, like, I am offended. Uh, what implication does this have for all of those what the health game changers only eat vegetables and they're accompanying vegetable fats people? Oh my gosh. It is so crazy that we are insisting that humans, animals, humans eat fats that came from seeds instead of fats that came from other animals. Our cells kind of choke on those fats, don't they? Especially in the amounts that we consume them now, right? I mean, here's, here's where everybody you know, gets confused. And I don't mean like everybody, but I mean the people that stand behind canola oil and seed oils and say, well, as oh, long as they can stand before <laughs> they, they, they get kind of bent and wobbly. Sorry. That's what happens when you eat they, that way. They do age quickly. Yes. It's yeah. so it's an age accelerant. Absolutely. Um, all kidding aside, that's true. But, um, the, the, uh, craziness is that we do need a little bit of these polyunsaturated fatty acids in our bodies. We do just like we need a little bit of vitamin A and we need a little bit of, you know, our bodies need to contain a little bit of sugar in the blood, but that doesn't mean we need to eat a ton of sugar. Well, it doesn't need, we doesn't mean we need to eat a ton of processed seed oils to be able to get the right amount of polyunsaturated fatty acids, the omega threes and the omega sixes. But when we get as many as we're getting, it's kind of like um, we're changing the recipe to manufacture humans, specifically our body fat, right? So our, our body fat is actually the biggest organ in our body, right? And if you're overweight, it can weigh as much as, you know, can weigh 100 pounds, it can weigh 200 pounds, it's by far and away the biggest organ in our body. 
and nobody's talking about what's in it. What's what kind of what is it doing? What's in there? What's in that fat? What kind of fat is in there? And it turns out that you can do as you can find out easily. You just do a biopsy and send it off to a specialized lab. I mean, we can't get our doctor can't order this test, but researchers have done this, and they found that modern body fat is up to 30% polyunsaturated fatty acid. So, okay, what does that mean? Well, it's putting it in context. A hundred years ago, before seed oils, the body fat percentage of PUFA, polyunsaturated, I'm going to say PUFA from now on, so I don't tongue-tied, um, is, uh, used to be somewhere between 2 and 3%, maybe as much as 5%, because it would vary depending on what a person was eating, but nowhere near the 30% that you can find today. It's a range even today, like, uh, you know, on the low end, it could be like, you know, 15%, unless a person is specifically avoiding these things. But the average person somewhere around 20 to 25%. And now what does that mean? Well, that's the million dollar question. So what? Well, what it means is we've been living in this, we've been living in this giant experiment for one thing, right? Because we've started eating fats that we know are great for seeds instead of fats that are great for animals. Okay, so that's a huge experiment. So anybody who says I'm promoting a fad diet, no, this is like the opposite of a fad diet. It's the antidote to this experimental fad diet that we've been on. One of the things that I really dug into from an anti-aging perspective for superhuman uh, was, look, we've got to control inflammation in the body. And one of the big things you do is uh, the type of fat you eat. And you know, this goes back to your very first book. This goes back to the first Bulletproof Diet book from 2014. Uh, but there's some new science that have come out around mice. And it's like the fate of fats when you eat them. And I did not know this. In fact, the research hadn't even been published when you and I wrote our first books. Uh, and this was in mice, but it's likely true in humans. But they looked at the, the deposition of the type of fat and where it went. And what do you know? If you eat seed oils, the percentage of seed oil in your body fat goes up radically but your brain will always pin the amount of saturated fat that's in there and your heart will do different things. So there's sort of ideal ratios for different cells. But if you want to really change the ratio of fat in your body, just eat some seed oil and your white fat becomes full of seed oil uh, yeah. way, way faster than anything else. So these people who are coming up with 30% of their fat being from seeds because they, well, they went on a healthy plant-based diet. Uh, sorry, guys, uh, those words actually are like military intelligence. They don't actually exist. But you know, oxymorons for all of us. Uh, the The difficulty there is a lot of people don't understand what happens with PUFAs in your body fat, that subcutaneous fat. What do they do? What happens with PUFAs in your body fat, that subcutaneous fat? What do they do? They are pro-inflammatory. So they make your body fat inflamed, essentially. And And what does that mean? What is it? What does it mean to be inflamed? Well, for one thing, it, it causes eventually, once, it, once the percentage gets high enough in your body fat, it causes your fat cells to be unable to properly divide. So, well, why that actually sounds like a good thing, right? And I'm, I'm sure that has been used to spin that uh, polyunsaturated fats are good because they prevent fat cells from dividing. No, no, you get in the way of what your body wants to do. It's always bad. And so if your fat cells can't divide when you need, if, if you're still in the process of gaining weight, then where does the fat go? Well, in your arteries. And, and that's 
what happens actually, literally that's what happens. Uh, fat become, your fat cells essentially become incontinent, right? So what, what's happening is, yeah, you're, you've got transporters that will bring in fat, but, the, the, but then at the same time, the fat cells are like, oh, I can't take any more. I can't divide. I don't have any room. So they export them at, right afterwards. And so this is why you find that when people have fairly advanced type 2 diabetes, um, their, their fatty acid levels in their blood are high, even though their insulin levels are high. And um, so this is kind of like a geeky topic, but it's important if you're into low carb because in the low carb world, they talk, all the emphasis is on carbs, obviously, it's the whole world is named after that. And they talk about insulin, like it's the cause of everything. Insulin is the cause of insulin resistance. Insulin is the cause of um, these, uh, the, the problems with your fat cells. What happens if your insulin's really low, Dr. Kate? Yeah, if you don't have enough insulin and you need it, you have type 1 diabetes. And your, your odds of dying from all-cause mortality go up from low insulin more than high insulin, right? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, we, we can't ever blame something that occurs naturally in our body for long. Because every time we've done that, whether it was cholesterol or saturated fat, it's tur- it turns out we've been wrong. But polyunsaturated fats, they don't occur naturally in our body. We have to eat them. Well, they, you said they do in very small amounts. Oh, oh, you're saying the body doesn't manufacture them, and that is totally true, right? Yeah. That's why they're called conditionally essential. But if you eat a piece of cow, you'll get enough of them, basically. You don't need much at all, other than what maybe some EPA or something. Well, yeah, you do need some. You do need the PUFAs, and you have the cow piece that you eat has to be fatty, right? Or have some cheese, or you know, dairy fat is also going to be a great source of this stuff. So it's not hard to come by. You don't have to supplement if your if your body is healthy and and your diet is balanced. Um, but uh, the the inc- getting back to the incontinent fat cells, what happens when a person is um, got too much PUFA in their fat cells? explains a lot more than all these insulin theories. It explains why a person reaches, there's another, uh, there's a Dr. Uh, Nadir Ali, who's a really great cardiologist who realized he also went through kind of like the looking glass like I did and realized everything we learned about nutrition is backwards. So he's he's coined this term, which I love, um, your personal fat threshold, right? And um, he says like after you get to a certain amount of percentage of body fat, you become insulin resistance and, and your fat cells can't hang on to fat and it spills out. Body fat threshold, not how much you can eat threshold. Correct. That's very important distinction in your body fat. So, um, you know, and that's important because like if you are different, different races have different, seem to have different thresholds, right? If you're Asian, you seem to have a lower threshold before you'll become diabetic. But, um, what everyone, no matter your race, the problem is the seed oil consumption. You you become you reach that personal fat threshold faster, and your fat cells become incapable of hanging on to fat and preventing it from spilling into your arteries faster. The more seed oils are in your diet because these PUFAs are pro-inflammatory. They prevent your fat cells from dividing, and you know that's just one of the many problems that they cause. In the fat burn fix, I do talk about how they just are, could it be better engineered to cause metabolic problems? And they get this pass because, you know, from Harvard, uh, which is where most of the doctors, the official doctor thought comes from, um, because 
they are essential. Like you said, the body can't manufacture them. So we need to eat some. Um, the conditionally essential are the, the long chain fatty acids, right? So, um, so we, if we eat the short chain fatty acids, we can turn them into long chain fatty acids, which our brain needs, right? So we definitely, definitely need to have these things in our diet, but, um, we don't need more than we need. And that's, that's where all of this experiment began because back in the fifties, we discovered, oh, we need some of these things. Well, if we need some and they're in our brain, more is better, right? And so if we eat more of these things that build our brain, well, how can that be bad? So, and that's about, I mean, that, I, that is about the depth of the whole thought process. And P.S., there was a huge, huge conflict of uh, interest in going any deeper into that thought process because Procter & Gamble was funding the American Heart Association starting in the early 1950s. Procter & Gamble, manufacturer of cotyledon, made from cottonseed oil, one of the first seed oils um, to be produced and the, the industrial process perfected. Um, and so you take like this semi-science, like quasi-science, well, if some is good, more is better, and you take conflict of interest from industry producing these things, and 50 years later, you have a nation that is unhealthy because we're eating what we think is healthy fat. Isn't that crazy? It definitely changed my life uh, when I figured this out. I, I did lose 50 pounds of the 100 pounds I had to lose. Oh, geez, this is back when I was in my early 20s. And, and you'd see, you go to a low-carb conference a long time ago, and there's all these incredibly fat people, and, and they're three, 400 pounds. And you're going, this is like the worst conference ever. This clearly doesn't work. But then you talk to them. Like, oh, yeah, I used to weigh 500 pounds, and now I'm only 300 pounds. I love it. But this other 100, 150 pounds, it won't go away no matter what I do. Clearly, I'm still eating too many carbs because I ate four carbs yesterday, <laughs> like four grams of carbs. Yeah. Like So uh, tomorrow, I'm only going to eat two grams of carbs. And you know, I measured my cream cheese, and it was a little too high. In, and and <laughs> I call that uh, sort of the, the keto trap even where, look, it, it doesn't work. That's the dirty keto aspect of it where, oh, just eat whatever fats. Right, you know, you could eat fried pork rinds, fried in canola oil, which they do sometimes for God knows whatever reason, uh, and say, "There, I, I did it," and it's not the same as an undamaged fats, higher saturated fat diet. Uh, they're fundamentally different things, but they get all munged up in people's minds. Uh, it's one of my big concerns with modern keto as it's evolved in the past, you know, six or eight years. It, it, it's that people are just eating the wrong kinds of fats. And oh, I'm deep fried uh, Brussels sprouts. That's keto. You're like, no, it, it, the F word is fried. And even if you fry it in, let's say you fry it in ghee or coconut oil, what's that going to do? Well, not a lot bad because those are very stable, saturated fatty acids. They're stable mostly though. But when you are getting one of those things, is it really 100% saturated fat? <laughs> no, of course not. No, no. And so if you deep fry and use it over and over again, then that's where you get into the most trouble. Absolutely. Even even with the healthy fat, even with the healthy fat. You even with the healthy fats, when you fry with the healthy fat, it becomes less healthy. So if you're going to live on that you know, deep fried cream cheese balls, which I admit I have done in the early 90s, I don't know if I lived on them, but like, oh, that's a, you know, that's a, a keto food. 
the problem is that you will get the inflammation over time in part because of the high temperatures and acrylamides uh, and the damage. But if you know you were to heat it up one time and do it, it's different. Like like you can eat bacon, just don't fry the crap out of it, right? Yeah. So uh, you know the, the the low carb world has you know a lot to offer, and there's a lot of great recipes and very smart doctors there. But they make actually the same error that you know the the everyone else has been making that which is well if if instead of if more is if some is good more is better it's if less is good none is better right that's kind of what oh, what, might this be true of of animal products as well right <laughs> like i will tell you eating too much meat is bad for you it, it, the data is overwhelmingly clear too much of those types of amino acids from from animal based proteins are bad for you by the way too much Plant protein is also bad for you. So then they say, well, eat none. And it, it's like, guys, there's there's a, a dose that's in the middle. So you're queuing me up now to plug my other book here, Deep Nutrition, because it's like, okay, well, what do we eat? You know, there are, clearly, there's got to be some rules, right? It can't just be like, look at one thing and say, oh, well, that's bad. So let's never eat that. Or look at another thing that's been associated in some poorly done study with problems and yada, yada, and on and on. But there are rules. And, and with the first book, Deep Nutrition, what my husband and I, because my husband helped me write the first one, so it's, it's really wonderful writing in there. It's fun to read. People tell me all the time they read it to their children, believe it or not. Um, yeah. Um, so we, all we did was we, we, it occurred to us that we didn't need to start from scratch with nutrition science. And that's kind of, that's kind of the position that the American Heart Association wants us to take and believe. That's kind of the position that Harvard has, is that we didn't know nothing about nutrition prior to scientists getting involved with their white coats and isolating things from food and studying them in isolated cells on Petri dishes. That's really, that's science. But no, um, my husband and I, we say, we stamp our foots down and we say, absolutely, there's another kind of science. And that is... Um, the art of raising healthy children. And that's what people did. That's what people, like if we didn't know how to raise healthy children, there wouldn't be humans, right? So we, we have to kind of respect that recipes that are traditional, that have been handed down from generation to generation, there's something very important happening there. And what my husband and I did was we just analyzed old cookbooks and old recipes to look at what every single one of them had in common. And we found the, that there were four things that we call those the four pillars and we write about them and what they are. So those are the rules. And the, the rules don't come from nowhere. They come from uh, generations of success. Let me ask you something there. Um, I, by the way, I, I love your mindset. You know, my, my first book was also, it was on pregnancy uh, and nutrition to build healthy babies starting from day zero or day negative nine months, however you want to you wanna call it. Even better. And if you look at different genetics, you mentioned earlier, for instance, you know, people from China, or did you say Asia or China? Was it specifically Chinese? Because there's different subcategories within Asia that yeah. have different genes. However, the similarity in terms of their, um, where they seem to get metabolically unhealthy is at a lower body fat percentage. So you can Got kind it. of put them together in this case. Okay. So, so from, from that perspective, and then in a recent show um, I, I did, we actually talked about how if you are from the western part of Africa, you're, you have certain genes around uh, heart disease that are substantially higher than average. By the way, it's the same if you're from, from the far Scandinavian countries, but if you're from Central Europe or other parts of Africa, you don't have these. So what that means is you've got to go back and say, what did your ancestors eat? 
But if you were from, say, Western Africa, you're eating, you know, pounded roots uh, that, uh, like cassava, that generally, you know, my Northern European ancestors, by the way, I have that gene, <laughs> right? So my ancestors didn't have a lot of pounded cassava. I don't know what they were eating, like dead fish or something. But what, whatever that comes down to, are those rules the same for all of us? Or is it more like you have to look at what your body needs? Well, there's that too. There's, 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 some, there's some slight customization in the, but not much. So the, the four, what we call the four pillars, they're broad categories. So every single diet can be contained within these broad categories. So there are things like fresh food, right? So it, food that hasn't been even heated so that, because heat destroys antioxidants and it destroys some vitamins, heat sensitive vitamins. So that's like a big broad category. And another one is fermented food. Uh, what everybody, you know, now we have to, a lot of us rely on probiotics and stuff, but we used to ferment our food and have it live living bacteria in there. What about the other two categories? We got the raw stuff, the fermented stuff. What else? Meat on the bone, by which I mean, including the actual bone and the ligaments um, and even the skin and of course the fat um, when it's suitable, right? Like not cow skin necessarily, but... Um, but uh, uh, Basically cracklins, uh, part... Pork skin. Yes. And the reason okay. that the skin and the joints are beneficial and even the bone being in the, like a soup that you boil to make stock out of is because it, there are it, special factors in there that are this combination of protein and sugar. So it's neither, it's not in a macro category. It's a category all by itself. It's like are you talking about like chondroitin and hyaluronic acid or? Yes. Like uh, because they are mixtures of amino acids and sugars, and they they act like signaling molecules, as do collagen hydrolysis. And it's really good for your collagen-based tissues because it actually acts like a growth factor to make your fibroblast fibroblast pump out more collagen. What do people say, or, or what do you say to people who say, "Oh yeah, well, you know, there's been vegetarians in whatever part of the world. There's never been vegans anywhere for very long because they get infertile." Sorry, guys. Like, let's just face facts. I try and be vegan for two or three generations. There won't be any more babies. That problem solved. Uh, so, but vegetarian, you can do it, but they're not getting their collagen. How are they doing this? They're not eating anything on a bone. Right. Yeah. It's not. They're not. And uh, you know, I mean, there haven't been pure vegetarians. For generation after generation, um, when I ask folks who are you know born and raised in India, um, okay, tell me about like what does it mean to be vegetarian? And they're like, well, we include we eat chicken. <laughs> you know, so like when when we say things, we have to be very careful about our terms because first of all, even in this country, we know vegetarian means many things. It means you might eat you might eat fish, for example. Well, at that point, like I'm a lacto ovo beefo porco vegetarian. I feel very good about that. Uh, but end of the day, if you're eating only vegetables, you're not going to get the fats. But if you're vegetarian, you're eating egg yolks and you're eating butter and cheese. And suddenly your fatty acid ratio looks a lot more like a human's and a lot less like a vegetable's. Yeah, you can do the macros, right? You can, you can, you can do, you can be, you can get healthy fats. You can have a very healthy metabolism without eating, you can be vegan, but I'm not convinced that you can have healthy children for three generations if everyone has been vegan. Hold on a second. You're not convinced? Um, no. What do you really believe, Kate? <laughs> I think it would be bad. You know, I think it would, it would be, you know, if, if 
you, if you are vegan and you're pregnant, you really want to uh, read a little bit more about traditional diets and epigenetics because you're, I believe actually that, you, you know, you could be putting children at risk and you, you wouldn't necessarily be get you wouldn't be getting the healthiest child. I got sworn at, uh, at the, the Milken conference in, uh, in Dubai. Uh, recently I was on a panel talking about health and, and I said, well, look, we don't have to worry about the vegan diet because it reduces fertility and it makes it harder to have uh, healthy kids and it shrinks kids' brains. And one of the members of the royalty who was in the room um, swore at me uh, publicly. Uh, and then we had a really good conversation afterwards. He's like, but we've been vegan. I had kids. I'm like, yeah, but like it's kids, 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 epigenetics. Uh, and so, you know, we, we both walked away from it, you know, laughing about the whole situation because we disagree. But man, I have 1,300 references in and five years writing a book on fertility when my wife, who's a medical doctor, wasn't fertile, telling you the reason we got fertile was we got our fats right. But oh, I have a pretty serious question for you about a certain kind of fat. And oh, wait, hold on. Before we go to that question, you gave us three of the four pillars. What's the fourth pillar? It's got to be like fiber or some kind of carbs. <laughs> it's the farthest thing from fiber. It's organ meats. Oh, organ meats. So there are, oh, because Eskimos don't need any of that stuff uh, or Inuit or any of the very far northern tribes and they can live without that. All right, I got you. Because I, it deserves its own category because we don't consider it edible, basically. And, you know, in America, we, we feed it to our animals. We make carpet backing out of it. But um, it, it is so essential to optimal health, right? Because liver, for example, is one of the best sources of B vitamins and bioavailable iron, Um Liver is gross. Can, can we just agree? Yes, you can make anything <laughs> gross. You can make anything gross, but you can, if you know what you're doing, you can also make anything taste good. And so that's the, that's the reason that we lost our taste for it in this country because we, it's harder to make taste good. And it's one of those things, though, that if you grew up eating it, you have a special love for it because it reminds you of your childhood and your body knows that it was good for you. My wife is like that. You give her like a chicken liver pate and she goes crazy. And, and I'm like, that's horrifying. How can you want to eat that? I'm like holding my nose. Uh, so what I do is I just take dried liver capsules and I'm okay with that. They desiccated liver. And that's what my kids do as well. Um, because even though we gave them liver since they were little, after they were three, they're like, actually, this doesn't taste good. We don't care that you gave it to us. So maybe even though I'm a good cook, maybe I'm not a liver master. Okay. <laughs> so, okay, that that's fascinating. Those are the four things. But the, okay, the four things to recap for listeners, give me just, just what are the four things that every healthy diet on the planet throughout all of history includes? What are the four? What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. 
Just what are the four things that every healthy diet on the planet throughout all of history includes? What are the four? Fresh food, fermented and sprouted food, meat on the bone, organ meats. No carbs. Bam. Many of them may include carbs, but they don't all include carbs. Well, no, I mean, you, you, exactly. You could have carbs in there or it, the macros is an, uh, it's like another dimension of a way to describe food. So they, they're, they can coexist or they can be excluded from each other, right? You do not need to eat the macros in the necessi- necessarily. Uh, we don't, I mean, actually, we do need to eat certain amino acids and certain fatty acids. But the amounts, can. there's so much flux in there. As long as we're actually eating whole foods and um, we're eating the four pillars, right? You, you, it's kind of hard to go wrong unless you're on a really restricted diet and I almost said island because that um, I'm getting ahead of myself. When people move to islands or when people are living sort of on a food island, like um, what was that tribe that everybody was talking about like 10 years ago in the, in the paleo world? Like there was some, they ate a lot of potatoes. Um, oh, yeah. In, the, in Peru or somewhere. These aren't the coconut oil and starch people who smoked all the time. <laughs> no, it was like some some tribe of uh, in the Andes. I think they were way high in a mountain. There were not a lot of foods that grew there. Potatoes were one. They they basically they had to have restricted their diet because they were so they had been like chased up the mountain. And then and if you what nobody was talking about was that they were physically a lot smaller. They're like you know the adults were like adult men were like four feet tall. That's what happens if you. You know, they're still following the four pillars, but their macros were radically different. They didn't get a, enough protein. And so nature's really smart. It just, it's programmed to make the next generation have less bone mass. So their height was less and they just preserved the ability to be healthy with less by making people smaller. And it's not that, it's not that they're bad or less, they're not less healthy. They can be fantastically healthy, but they just have to be smaller. And does that matter? Well, yes and no. I mean, it does matter. Possibly why they were so isolated was because they would lose the fist fight if they were fighting against somebody who was physically bigger. So they had to basically isolate themselves, right? So that that's how you get these extreme diets that where people are still healthy and you can use them in these examples. Um, I wish I could remember the name of the tribe, but uh, but everybody was talking about it back in like 2012, this whole conversation about safe starches and everything like that. It, it's one of those things where, look, if you came from that tribe and those are your people, you probably are going to do well on a higher potato diet for real because your production of energy was optimized for that stuff. And if you try to go eat some completely other diet, you might just thrive on it or it might not work at all for you. And, and it, that's the the learning. That's what it feels like is missing uh, yeah. a lot of the time. Yeah. All right. Let's get into some some oils. There's eight oils that you say in your new book that you're saying these are the worst ones. And these are also the ones that you say, and I agree with you, by the way, increase your risk of getting inflammatory conditions from COVID. What are these eight evil oils? Well, I call them the hateful eight. So, so um they are three C's and three S's. So we have corn, canola, cottonseed, soy, sunflower, safflower, and then the other two, which you mostly find in restaurants, are grapeseed and rice bran oil. 
And the reason they're all bad and hateful is because they are mostly polyunsaturated. They're way too much polyunsaturated to be processed, which they are, to uh, remove from the seed. Then they have to be refined, bleached, and deodorized. And that's another reason why when you have even healthy fats that have been used over and over and over again, I mean, like this gets me to another um, thing that you brought up earlier. Uh, the processing strips away the minerals and the vitamins that stabilize these very unstable fatty acids in the seed that nature puts in there. So that when we eat whole seeds, I'm, I'm not saying that eating corn or soy is going to give you toxic fats. I'm saying that eating soy oil and corn oil will though, because the fats are unstable and they deteriorate. Even in the bottle, there's 5% of uh, unnatural fats in, in the bottle. So you're eating these, you're eating these things that are really very highly toxic they have long names like 4-hydroxynonanol, but they are known carcinogens. And you're eating them in like gram amounts on a daily basis. So it's kind of like a, a miracle that we can even like exist on these things. But that's why we have like this three-generation thing that's happening now. It's the third generation where these, th these things have been in the food supply. And the generation born in 2000 is basically they're, they are – predicted to develop diabetes and have a shorter lifespan than the generation prior to that for the first time in modern history. Well, I'm counting on my grandkids to just kick ass. Uh, that's all I'm saying. Not that I have grandkids, but if I ever do uh, many, many years from now, given what I fed my kids and what I was eating long before that and my wife as well, maybe we've, uh, we've turned that around for at least a few of us. And uh, when people read your books, uh, when people just tune in on this whole movement, I think that there are going to be some people who are fantastically long-lived 50 years from now, and it's because of the stuff we were doing now. Uh, and it will become a very serious and an unfair advantage if your yeah. parents ate the right yeah. stuff, but it already is. It, <laughs> like right it, now, it, it if your parents ate healthy stuff, you're healthier. Yeah. Right? And it, it's a multi-generational thing, and it's totally not fair. Right? It, it really, you don't get to pick what your parents ate uh, when, when they were carrying you. You don't get to pick what your your parents fed you when you were young. Uh, and it, it is, you know, it, it's a big issue of, of, you know, equality where we, quality food should be available everywhere. And it definitely isn't. And even where it is available, many people don't choose it because they don't know any better. And well, that's just I, wrong. I think that they, yeah, exactly. It is wrong. And we're lied to. And, and this is what makes uh, this whole issue political because the reason, the reason that we talk about that we have all these lies that doctors learn that polyunsaturated, uh, you know, oils are healthier than saturated, is because they're in the 70s um, with the I think it was the Nixon administration. They were worried about food shortages, and so they 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 tied the USDA, the government guidelines of what you people should eat, to what we could grow more of, so that we would simply have more calories to be able to feed pe more people, right? So it's, it's all a quantity over quality political choice. And, and uh, the U.S. government decided that we, we want quantity over quality. We need more and more and more. That's the structure of capitalism. And you uh, have to lie to people, though, to get them to buy into that, right? Because if you were telling people the truth that olive oil is, the healthiest, one of the healthiest plant oils, but we only have 3% of the planet that can grow it versus humongous percentage. You have 
a hundred times that much that can grow the hateful eight seed oils, the canola, the corn, the soy oil. You have to start lying to people about what is healthy to sell it to them. And that's what's happened. Here's what's particularly noxious and evil about that. Uh, Because of my work as founder of Bulletproof, I've had the opportunity to meet CEOs of some of the world's largest food and beverage companies out there. And many of them, we've had these these kind of private conversations that are like, hey, how do I get people to pay even one cent more for something that has a healthier oil or has a healthier profile? Because right now, if I make my, you know, atrocious junk food, sugar bomb with bad fats, whatever you want to call it. If I increase the cost by one cent, I lose market share and people will buy something else. So there's sort of this race to the bottom. And what is really happening there is that if we had it written down and acknowledged in science, uh, because it's true, not because it's economically useful, uh, that, oh, these saturated fats are useful and healthy and these other fats are not, we could have by now hybridized or even genetically engineered canola and corn and all these things to make olive oil or to make any other kind of oil that we wanted. But instead of doing that and helping to bend our uh, our food crops to our will via natural or even unnatural means, because, hey, they already do that. I'm not advocating for that. Instead, what we've done is we've just grown more of the crap Right, And that is why these scientific lies, and those are lies, we know 100% these polyunsaturated fats, these eat more vegetable oils, the people who say that, there's a special place in hell for them. There so. is, because that's what the science says, the science that studies hell. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a rare major, but anyway. So I'll get off my soapbox, but I'm with you, except what about soybean lecithin? which is a fat, and uh, uh, sunflower lecithin, which is a fat. Are those bad too? Well, they can be, yes. So the, so the reason that they can be is because the soybean lecithin is going to have the same fatty acids as soybean oil. It's just that it's people don't know what lecithin is. So... Um, the fat is a triglyceride, so there's three fatty acids. Lecithin is an emulsifier. That's why it's added to foods. It, it makes mayonnaise, uh, you know, it, it keeps the consistency nice and um, smooth. It helps air uh, stay, air oil emulsion that is mayonnaise. Um, so lecithin is made out of two fatty acids instead of three. So when you say soy lecithin, um, you, are, you are probably actually adding a much more expensive product so you're probably not going to be adding that much of it, thank goodness. So it's, while it's, bad, it's not healthy, I wouldn't recommend it. Um, it's not at anywhere near capable of doing the damage that the seed oils are. So th- that's why I like to keep things as simple as possible and simpler. I say just really just look for the eight seed oils. You're opposed to lecithin in, in general. I don't think it's, uh, well, soy lecithin. Right. Okay, what about sunflower lecithin then? Is there any other kind of lecithin? Like, like there's no cow lecithin that I've been able to find. <laughs> Eggs, egg yolks. There's lecithin in egg yolks. Um, but uh, and that, I don't even know if they use lecithin because egg yolks have so much emulsifying property themselves that they just use egg yolks. So that's what traditionally was uh, mayonnaise was made out of is, is the emulsifier in mayonnaise. And when we started saying, oh, low cholesterol and stuff like this, we wanted mayonnaise without egg yolk. So we used soy lecithin, ironically, which is, you know, not as healthy and possibly, you know, pretty 
not healthy. <laughs> well, there's all kinds of other problems with soy and contamination with glyphosate and things. Yes. Uh, so I, I did find when I was doing research on specifically the myelin sheath, the lining of the nerves and the brain, and even reducing fatty liver is that lecithin deficiency can be a real issue. And the recipe for get some ice cream is like, wait, raw egg yolks and butter, coconut oil, and all these things, and you blend them up. And it's called get some ice cream. It's on the Dave Asprey blog. Uh, and it's there because you eat it. And an hour later, like, I think we should go to the bedroom because the body says, look, yeah, I got everything I need to have a baby, including all those saturated fats. So it, you have this weird effect that has been documented by hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people responding to those posts going, oh my God, it worked. But <laughs> I am okay with adding sunflower lecithin. You add a tablespoon of that to, to something. Uh, it does improve the flavor, but it seems like neurologically, in limited doses, if you store it in the fridge and it's not damaged, you're going to get those essential fats. Is that too far off or are you still like, no, that's a waste of time? Well, it depends where you're at. Like, uh, you know, if, if you aren't able to make lecithin in your body because you have so much, uh, you know, this is actually an assumption. One of the reasons that you can't make lecithin is because you have enzyme damage due to extreme inflammation, high PUFA seed oil consumption. So that can derange a lot of different processes in your body, one of which certainly could be the ability to make lecithin. Oh, so okay. It, it could also be heavy it. metals. It could be mold toxins. It could be you know, Lyme disease, If although that's usually toxic mold. But it could be a chronic ill autoimmune. Something bad is happening. So that would take you off and then you would supplement. That's what you're saying? Definitely, definitely. And so if you need lecithin, you need it. But, um, but if you could, and if it is pr processed, you know, more carefully than your standard seed oils, um, then it wouldn't, hopefully wouldn't have like the toxic forms of the fatty acids that you're actually eating instead of the natural forms of the fatty acids. And I'm sure there's a way that you can analyze that to see if that's happening, right? Uh, you know, you can put anything through the right kind of um, uh, NMR analyzer to see what is the components of the polyunsaturated fatty acids. Have they broken down at all? Have, are they, are, is your process starting with the uh, linoleic acid that is the, one of the common PUFAs in soy and is it ending with that? Or is that linoleic acid breaking down and you're actually getting some of these toxic things? So you can actually measure that if you want to, it's probably not cheap. But, um, but if, you, if you do that, then you can know what's happening and what's in there. And that's, that's a very important question that um, I think would, could be you know, a huge boon to people who do want to make these more easy, shelf stable like kinds of products for people who just don't want to be bothered with cooking at, at least you could you could start measuring how is your process um holding up or how are the fatty acids holding up to your process and there are easy ways you, there's analyzers you can test so much stuff so quickly these days if manufacturers would do that and kind of want to be like the the better <laughs> version of a processed food then you could simply do that but there's also uh, you know there's another whole other option and that is just use animal fat right as we've been ignoring the fact like it doesn't all have to be olive oil right it could certainly be um just tallow beef tallow that's what used to be in in mcdonald's french fries it was so common in restaurants in the deep fryers that um and it's much more capable of standing up to the processing it's probably a lot more shelf stable um than certainly than you know canola and, so, and soy and corn and all that sort of thing 
Then, then again, though, Kate, back when they used to do that, cows ate grass. Mm-hmm. So if you were to use modern yeah. tallow from industrial feedlot beef, man, that just isn't really good for humans. The fat ratios are off. The animals are mistreated. There's antibiotic residues. It's environmentally destructive, and they're mean to the animals. Like It, it doesn't work. How, how are people supposed to get this stuff? You can't get beef tallow. I mean, like, like let's be kind of real. There's hundreds of thousands of people listening to this. Where do they go to get good fats? Well, where I work, the company I work for, you know, people are, most of the employees are definitely not where anywhere where they can access that, those kinds of good fats. And the fact is still, I mean, seed oils are that bad for you that they, they are still better than like um, the, the, even, I, I don't want to advocate for the industrial food chain, but I, I can't tell people that they should be vegetarians. So I have to tell them, do the best that you can, right? And some of the best uh, fats out there are the dairy fats because that is regulated. It's, it, well, so it's, it's not going to be as healthy as if it were grass, but it's regulated by the animals, by the mammary glands. And so the proportion of PUFA in there is not as high as the proportion in the beef body fat, right? Because just like us, if we eat too much polyunsaturated fatty acids, our body fat is full of stuff. Same with the cows, although they have a much more sophisticated um, digestive tract and it can, it can like kind of help a little bit, right? So that they're, they're not going to be as much of a mirror as, as our body fat. They can eat more PUFA and still have less in their body fat. Would you pay more for steak that tasted twice as good? I would. I'll I mean, eat half as much, it. so I have to pay the same amount. Order the smaller steak, that was better for you. You'll, you'll live, right? At what it's better for you, it tastes better because flavor is nutrition. Chefs are the original nutritionists. That's why Deep Nutrition is all about you know, respecting chefs and respecting culinary you know, old-fashioned recipes. Just, there's a lot of – a recipe could be really short, a traditional recipe, but there's a lot of wisdom and knowledge and skill uh, buried in, in that. And, and, and that, it, that is the body of nutritional science that doctors used to respect. But, uh, we, you know, if we come full circle and come back and say, Oh yeah, if, if you want to really be into health, don't go to dietitian school. Don't be a dietitian or a nutritionist, go to culinary school and just focus on using real whole food ingredients because that's what everybody used to do. Oh man. Need to do. Uh, you're reminding me that the the birth of the bulletproof diet uh, came from looking at fertility and nutrition, and then something called molecular gastronomy or modernist cuisine, uh, which is where they take all these laboratory instruments and that I've had in my house for 20 years, but they use them to make the food taste good without caring one crap about how good it is for you. So you eat most modernist cuisine, you will feel like crap the next day, but it would taste it so good it was probably worth it, and. I said, what would happen if I took those things and we temperature control and oxygen flow and airflow and all that, and we, the goal was food that makes you feel amazing, number one, and number two, tastes good. And that's why the recipes, that's why we're very much in alignment on this stuff, but you can use the tech to enhance and protect and support the flavor and what the food is supposed to do for you. Uh, and that is very much in all of your work. It, it's built into it. So I, I think you've been right the whole time, which, which is cool. Uh, but I, as I never talk about that, that idea of, of taking tech instead of it having to be a bad thing, saying maybe it can actually support the goodness. And, and the tech shows you that farm is food has more stuff in it. Uh, so 
uh, and use the tech to make the soil healthy and use the tech to figure out what animals like really thrive on and you know use the tech to do the real legit kind of nutrition science which starts with the soil yeah and it shows us the ancestral stuff works that's what the tech always shows that's why i of course i'm going to measure the soil and see oh am i building more soil and oh if there isn't sheep pooping nearby the soil doesn't work as well hmm that seems like science all right I have one more question for you in our interview. You said when you were on Bill Mayer recently that the COVID virus is taking advantage of our pro-inflammatory high PUFA diet and that if we had quit eating this stuff five years ago, no one would get sick from coronavirus except for a few extreme autoimmune people. Do you stand by that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, because for one thing, it's not the coronavirus itself that's killing folks under 65. It's not that virulent of a, of a virus. What's killing people under 65 is their own immune systems that are working against them. And that's happening because of years of eating seed oils. When you're sick, you stop eating. The seed oils, the PUFAs that have built up in your body fat get released into your bloodstream where they promote massive amounts of inflammation. And that's how we get people dying who are young, might even be normal weight. Um, and apparently healthy, but they are not metabolically healthy because the underlying condition, they talk about underlying conditions in coronavirus like diabetes and fatty liver and overweight. Well, the underlying condition underlying all those conditions is having body fat full of high PUFA seed oils from a lifetime of thinking those things are just fine for you to eat, not realizing how toxic they are. Well, on that note, Thank you for being a guest on the show and thank you for uh, your new book. I think that people who listen to the show are going to totally, totally love reading The Fat Burn Fix. And guys, if you like the, the sort of things that, that are in the Bulletproof lifestyle that are, come from different people, there's a summary of knowledge here very specifically around fat types that is missing from your paleo diet. It's definitely missing from the world of keto. And Dr. Kate's nailed it, and it's easy to read. So check out the Fat Burn Fix. It is not the same sort of recycled, oh, you know, eat lots of kale or whatever sort of thing. That's not what we're talking about here. So, so check it out. And thanks again, Kate. Thanks, Dave. It's been fun talking to you as always. And you guys know, if you read a book and you like the book, you go to Amazon and you take about two seconds to leave a review that says what you thought of the book. And actually, even if you don't like the book, you can leave a review. So if you like Dr. Kate's Fapper and Fix, leave an honest review because like all authors, she actually checks them just like I check my reviews because it tells us what we did right and what we didn't do right. But I'm telling you, this book is gonna get lots of good reviews. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. 
This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.